Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, Home Edition. You might hear birds chirping in the background because... I have a huge bush and tree outside my house that has a lot um, of birds in it, (laughs) and I'm not recording in a booth. So there you have it. I mean, hell, if they can do it on SNL, I can do it on the podcast, right? So um, how's everyone doing? Quarantine. It's uh, it's been really interesting. (laughs) One of the things that we realized this week was that my pod, really, like my, not my podcast, but my pod, my quarantine pod is really made up of my ex-husband and his wife, our kids, and then by extension, my ex-husband's wife's ex-husband, because all of our kids are sort of rotating through these three houses. Um, There's another house too, but we don't count that. Long story. We decided yesterday for Easter to have Easter dinner together. Now, we only did this because we know that we've all been super, super, super careful. Like my ex-husband's wife's ex-husband, he had been traveling internationally. He came home. He self-quarantined for two weeks, didn't see his son, didn't see anybody for two weeks. And, you know, so that's the, those are the measures that the entire family has been taking. And we have these kids going back and forth and around and about. And we just thought, you know what? We can't see anybody else. We may as well see each other. (laughs) So yesterday was Easter. Um, when I'm recording this, I'm recording this on Monday. You're probably going to hear it on Tuesday or whenever. But anyway, it was Easter yesterday in my in my timeline. And so we all went over to my exes for dinner. The four grown-ups, the two exes and the two current. I mean, it was and you know, from the outside it's really weird and crazy and like what the hell? But you know what, guys? On the inside, it was um, it was great. It was great. We had so much fun. We've all known each other for a really long time. Our kids all went to preschool together. So we've known each other for a good, I don't know, we've known each other since before any of us got divorced. So a good 12 years, I think. And so it was, it was fun. It was fun. All of us were just super excited to see other people. <laughs> We're just super excited to like be in the company of other people. However, you know, whatever our past and our history uh, may be, it was really exciting. You know, and I will say that we are, lest you think like that you're going to jump right into this, we are all a good long time into our divorces. We have processed through so much. We have really gotten to a point where this is possible. And, you know, this may not be possible for everybody ever. Um, This may not be possible for you right now. But I just want to say that the work that we do in my programs, the work that I do with my clients, the work that there is to be done in the world, where you really get to process through your shit and your resentments and take responsibility for your part and release and forgive, right? This is, this is what's possible on the other side of that work. All of that work will facilitate and, and perhaps bring you closer to being able to have Easter's in the future that look something like mine did yesterday um, or Christmases or Thanksgivings or whatever, right? If you don't do the work, there's not much hope for that for your future. And you may not want that. And that's fine. Um, right. And, and like I said, like, it may not be possible. It may not be appropriate 
for you to have this kind of relationship. And that's totally fine, too, by the way. Literally totally fine. I mean, if your safety, uh, emotional, physical safety is at, like, is at risk here, don't even think about this. But if there is a way for your kids to eventually get to, so for you guys to get to this place so that your kids can sort of see this and experience this. And by the way, our kids think it's like the most normal thing in the world. Like it's not even weird for them. You know, if that's what you want, the work is available to you. And that is what I do with my private clients. That is what I do in my programs. If this is important to you, I'm here for you. hundred percent, hundred percent here for you. So that's what I wanted to say about that. And now, shifting gears to today's episode, um, today I have Andrea Vaca. Um, Andrea is the owner of Vaca Family Law Group. It's a law firm in Manhattan that focuses exclusively on non-adversarial divorce and family law matters. So um, Andrea focuses on collaborative divorce. Um, after practicing traditional litigation-focused family law for many years, Andrea's firm now works only with clients who want to keep their divorces out of court and want their prenuptial and postnuptial agreements negotiated in a non-adversarial manner. Now, we talk a lot about collaborative divorce, and I just want to specify that this is this is a very specific form of divorce. This is not like, it's not a general term for doing things in a collaborative manner. It's actually a very specific um process, divorce process. Uh, and so, you know, here on the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, the month of April is legal month, and we're doing all things legal and um, financial, too, at the end of the month. And so, you know, last week, we had Susan Guthrie on talking about mediation. And so today, we're talking with Andrea Vaca about collaborative divorce. This is actually the kind of divorce that I had. I went through a collaborative process. So Andrea regularly lectures, writes, and blogs on the topics of collaborative law, mediation, and topics related to non-adversarial family law. So she is a great resource um, for understanding how this process works. Without further ado, I bring to you my conversation with Andrea Vaca. Andrea Vaca. Thank you so much for coming on to have this great conversation about collaborative divorce. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, Kate. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So, well, let's just dive in. I mean, the biggest question on the table is what the hell is collaborative divorce? What the hell is collaborative divorce? (laughs) All right. Well, it's a divorce process that is more formal um, than just a typical negotiation. And it is um, a process where both clients have their own attorney. And each attorney represents their individual client and advocates for them. But the difference is they're advocating in a way that's not adversarial. They're not threatening each other, making uh, negotiating under duress. We're really trying to bring our clients to an agreement in a way that meets both of your interests. So in the collaborative process, each client has their own attorney and it's a team approach to divorce. So there are other professionals that will be part of the process as well. There's the collaborative coach. In some places we call them family specialists or -hmm. divorce coaches. And they usually come from a mental health background. They're psychologists or masters of social work, marriage and family therapists. And then there's a financial professional as well. So the financial professional is, is usually neutral. And this team forms around the couple to address their legal, financial, and, emotion, and emotional communication needs. So that none of those hijack the other and we can come to an agreement. Yes, that's great. Now, just for full disclosure, I did collaborative divorce. Just so that everybody everybody knows, because I think I've talked about it a bunch of times on the podcast, and so I did a collaborative divorce, and we actually only had one attorney. What do you think? What? How did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that sounds more like maybe mediation. No, it was. Oh, it was definitely collaborative. We had the whole team. We also shared a coach, but um, I think that what what was decided was that because we were already coming to the table so collaboratively that they were like, you could have two, but you could also just save money and do one. And we were like, let's do that. 
Okay. I mean, that might be. That's not your typical way of doing collaborative. So maybe you <laughs> did it did wrong. Unique and different. I don't we know. Did it wrong. Null and void. We have to do You're it again. California. <laughs> we're, we're different in New York. I yeah, guess. we do things uh, our own way. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, typically you're each going to have your own lawyer. I've never had a collaborative case where there weren't two lawyers, but, <laughs> oh, but you get the team approach. You, you understand that. You do. You do. And I think that's, and I, and I, so, so what is the difference between collaborative and mediation? Obviously, besides the fact there are two attorneys normally. So what's the difference between collaborative and mediation? Because I think that's always the confusion. Yeah, people have, a lot of people have heard about mediation and they're never quite sure what the difference is. So mediation is a process where there's one mediator who could be a lawyer or could, could be from another type of professional background. And that mediator is, me, mediator is meeting with the couple individually. Where I mediate, when I mediate, the lawyers are not typically in the room. So let's assume just the couple comes to my office and we, I help them through all the different issues that they need to address so that they can come to a final agreement around all the financial issues, the child-related issues, the spousal support, child support issues, taxes, insurance, everything. We cover everything. And, we, and by the end, I'm able to draft an agreement that they can then re review with their own attorneys and the attorneys will provide feedback and, and they have a representation. Sometimes it's, they get consulting attorneys or the attorneys actually might jump in a little bit and, and give advice and, and, and ask for ways for the agreement to be changed. But the attorneys are outside the mediation room. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so the mediator just helps them come to this agreement. And then at the end they have the, they're legally separated by the time of the mediation is over. Collaborative is different because you have the two attorneys in the room at all times during all of the meetings. And the coach, right? right? And the financial professional. So it sounds really expensive, right? With all these right, professionals. Right. And often a, a parenting coach, right? There's often a, a parenting specialist as well as the regular coach, right? So in where I work in New York and in, in Manhattan and in, in all over New York, the we, the divorce coach, who's also called sometimes a family specialist, sometimes they have child specialist background, they will handle everything. Mm. They will handle the, um, the communication issues, the emotional issues to help the parents not get triggered and uh, not trigger the other and really effectively deal with their emotions during this difficult process. And they will help them come to a parenting agreement. They will bring their child development expertise and knowledge to the process and help them come to an agreement around what the best plan is for these kids now and in the future. So you don't necessarily need more than I one person like that on the team. Got it. And to be really clear, the coach that is in the collab, so collaborative divorce is a very specific process that is, that doesn't define or describe that you had a collaborative divorce, right? It, it's literally a process. It's a, it's a legal process called collaborative divorce, right? And I want to make sure that that's really that that's really clear that this is, we're not just describing a process. We're actually, it's actually the name of the, of the legal process. <laughs> yes. And it's not necessarily you. Are, so yes, it's not, we're not just being collaborative. We are signing an agreement. It's called a collaborative participation agreement in New York. It's six pages long. The, the agreement that our clients and, and the attorneys and all the other professionals will sign. So it addresses everything about how we will be working together, the need for transparency and honesty, all the roles and the, of all the different professionals, um, about confidentiality, about um, how the process will end, what, how the, pro the collaborative process will come to an end and what happens at that point. Hmm. So six pages, and it will also address, the, and what makes it legal is that they're going to sign it with an, and they're going to have their signature notarized. So everything that was in that agreement that can be enforced in a court later if necessary. It's very rare that collaborative cases end up going to court, 
But if they do, they've agreed to not cancel bank accounts, not cancel insurance, make sure the status financial status quo is maintained during this process. So they've agreed to things that a court can enforce later if necessary. That's, yeah, that's great. The other thing that, to clarify is that the coach in this process is actually not a coach. They're not like me, who's a certified coach. Um, they actually have to be a licensed mental health professional, something that I would love to see expanded, but that's... <laughs> that's yes, I, yeah, that's definitely, that's why I think they've stopped wanting to be called coaches because yeah. they feel they do. It's not just coaching. Um, it's not right. It's not, it's not just coaching. I mean, it, there is a lot, and I know there's a lot of, a lot of coaching uh, involved in it, but yeah, there's, I think there's confusion. I'm speaking on a panel in next week, the Southern California Mediators Association about what a divorce coach does. And, and the first thing that we're talking about is differentiating us from the collaborative coaches because most people, I think, in, in the divorce, certainly mediation world, when they hear of divorce coach, they think of it in terms of the collaborative process. But we're not the same, and they're, they're not us, we're not them. And we do different things, right? So I just think that for people who listen to this podcast, it's important because they know that I'm a divorce coach, but that's not, but I, but I, don't, I don't do collaborative. Right. You do so many of the same things. You help people get out of their own way, process their feelings, be pragmatic, you know, really filter things um, in a different way. Like collaborative coaches will help with all that. And they have different mental health training and child development training. So they can really dig in to the family system and the family dynamics yep. in a different way. Yep. But that's the only difference. Yeah, totally. I just want to clarify that. Sure. Good. Good to clarify. Just for my, you know, for my audience. So how did, how did you get in? I mean, you're, how did you become a collaborative attorney or like what made you decide that this was the place that you wanted to kind of reside in your practice? Are you like so many divorce attorneys that I know who are like, I can't do family law anymore. I got to get the hell out. <laughs> yeah, I, I went through that for sure. You know, about seven years into practicing law and I've been practicing law 27 years now and I've been doing family law the whole time. And about seven years in, I really didn't think I wanted to be a lawyer anymore. I was a traditional divorce attorney going to court, trying to settle my cases you know, realizing court was a terrible place to be, but I didn't know anything else. So just use that process as, as best as I could for my clients. And I stopped practicing law for a couple of years. I tried legal recruiting. I tried to go to a different industry. And then I missed using my lawyer brain. Mm -hmm. And I went back to practicing law and back right into family law. And a few years after that, I was at a, at a um, New York City bar uh, presentation and somebody came in to talk about collaborative divorce and I had never heard of it before. But Kate, it was like a light just shined down on this long conference table that I was sitting at and there was this path. I've never experienced anything like it. I, I looked around the room like at this mat, all these other divorce lawyers and I'm like, is everyone else as excited as me to know that you can work with other attorneys and help your clients in a way that will help them really come to a good solution and is everyone else hearing this? And <laughs> all the people are just sitting around with their chin on their oh. hands, like bored out of their minds. And I guess I, it changed my life that day. It didn't change many other people's in that room, I guess. But well, I'm for them because they're still litigating, right? Like they're like, why? Yeah. Well, and I think that's a great way of sort of separating the wheat from the chaff, right? Like, oh, well, people who are inspired by this, people who are not inspired by this, are like true litigators and they want to keep divorce in the litigation system for whatever reason, usually greed and financial gain. Right. And people who are inspired by other, other ways of doing this are actually, in my opinion, more committed to their clients and their clients. And, you know, to, in my world, like to their clients, children, really, you know, the family, the family you know, itself. Yeah. And the, the thing about divorce, we always see it as, the breaking up of a family. And that's what it felt like when my own parents got divorced, which I was, it was so sad. And it doesn't have to be that way. And the collaborative professionals get that just because your marriage is ending, your family doesn't 
stop. You still have the family. And if you can protect that and divorce in a, in a better way, that's really looking at what's important to each of you and, and, and bring respect to the process and having the professionals model the kind of behavior and words and actions that you, that you would hope the clients will have and be able to use and um, express, then you're going to have a much better outcome long-term. Everyone's going to be better off. I love that idea that divorce professionals in the room are actually modeling something to the clients because we really are, I think, when we're getting divorced, when we're in the midst of our divorce, we are kind of looking to the adults in the room to tell us how to do it. And if the adults in the room are litigators and they're committed to an adversarial process that is literally by definition adversarial, I was talking to Susan Guthrie about this the other day about, you know, mediation, right? And like the difference between mediation and, and litigation. And, and she was talking about how using like all the language that's used in litigation, like first, like down to like, you know, so-and-so versus so-and-so you serve them papers, you write like all of the language, right? The other attorney in, in media in litigation is your adversary Right. In your and the collaborative, I call them my collaborative colleagues. Yeah. yeah. The other attorney is my collaborative colleague. Right. It's a very different mindset. You know, sometimes we'll be in a, and we're human, right? So they'll, you know, a, a other, you're in a room, the other professionals might say something that's you don't agree with or is really like trigger something. Yeah. But instead of jumping on it or accusing them of saying something, you know, purposely to hurt you in some way. I won't roll my eyes. I won't, I, you know, I'll, I'll tr do my best, humanly best to control my emotions, even though I've been triggered in some mm -hmm. way or something mm -hmm. happened. And then later talk to my collaborative colleague outside the room. You know, when you, when you said ABC, I could see the look on my client's face really affected him. You know, it really didn't go well there, or I didn't agree with you, but let's talk about it outside. And maybe then we'll come back in the room and we'll be transparent about the conversation we just had, but in an adult way. Exactly. And that, and that's exactly right. That is, that is the model that, you know, that we're, that we want for the client. And so if you, I mean, it, it really, <laughs> litigation, I mean, there's, I think there's a time and place for litigation for sure, but, and that's really, as far as I can tell, only if one person is really hell bent on it. <laughs> you know, I have clients who are trying to go mediation and their, and their, you know, their spouses are hell bent on litigation and getting shark at shark attorneys. And at that point I say, go get yourself a shark. Cause you, you can't bring the, you know, a rubber club to a knife fight or a gunfight, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. but other than that, you know, we want to model that. And when you, you are really as the attorneys or, or mediators setting the tone. You're setting the tone for the whole thing by the behavior in the room overall. Yeah. Yeah. I love we that. do a lot of work with each other in, in the room with the outside, like in our collaborative meetings, we'll, we'll process these difficult cases that we're having. We talk about it. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's such a much more supportive community for the attorneys, for the other professionals that the clients never see. We're doing, I mean, we do so much more work on ourselves so that we can be better professionals for the, for these divorcing clients that are going through one of the most difficult times in their life. And they can't afford to have us be taking things personally and not being aware, self-aware. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So how do you know whether you should mediate or do collaborative divorce? Like, is there like a profile that would be better suited for one or the other? What I generally see or say is that when there's a, a couple, you know, look, everyone should try to mediate if they can. It's definitely less expensive. It'll probably take more less time if it's the right process for you. It might not be the right process if there is a very large power imbalance between you. It could be a verbal power imbalance 
you know, no one's trying to be overcome someone else. Just you might process and hear and speak very differently and you're not going to communicate well. It could be a financial power imbalance, an intellectual power imbalance. It could be an emotional power imbalance. But if the power, every, no relationship is completely equal. But if the imbalance is too great, it might be hard for the, for the person, one person to advocate for themselves yeah. in some way. So if you're not going to be able to properly advocate for yourself and say what's true and what you need and what's important to you and not just give in or not overwhelm the other person, then mediation will not be a, you know, the, the process that you hope it will be. It will be very difficult if it, it might even fail. Mm-hmm. So if those imbalances are very obvious, then you probably need more support. It'll be better for both of you to have an advocate in the room with you and and to have the team around you and then the balance you know everything gets balanced out a bit so th- that's definitely one thing that i see okay was there another sorry <laughs> just no that's, the, that's like the off. major that's the major yeah no i think that's me. actually a really interesting I and mean, it's an interesting point do you think that that imbalance would you call would you say that if one like a stay at home mom is it is is that kind of imbalance? Not necessarily. Okay. So it's not nece- it's not just nece- it's not necessarily a financial imbalance. It's really a it's really like a power dynamic. Like so, it sounds more emotional. You know, I have cl- I know I'm aware of some clients where the the wife has never worked, but v- very intelligent yeah. handles most of the you know, leads most of the financial discussions throughout the marriage. Um, you know, encourages the husband to go to the financial advisors, manages the money that's coming in that he's earning. And the husband's very passive and yeah. doesn't really care that much about things and just let the wife handle everything. That's a power imbalance, yeah. regardless of who's making the money. And their mediation has not gone as smoothly as you would hope <laughs> because there's a lot of passivity. So things don't move. That's the other thing with mediation. You both have to be motivated. Uh If one person is not quite as motivated as the other, they might need that attorney, that collaborative attorney to kind of push them a little bit to get, stay in the process or pull them back so they're not running too far ahead. They're not like overly aggressive in the process. Or just look, I've been, you know, one person sometimes thinking about the divorce for two years. Yeah. And then the other person's like, what do you mean you want a divorce? You know, <laughs> I had no idea we were unhappy. So, you know, Mr. Two-Year Wanting a Divorce is going to want it to be done next month. And, you know, the other partner, the other spouse is like, slow down. I am not ready to deal with this I yet. I have not processed it yet. I talk about that all the time. Mediation probably will be very difficult for that couple too. There's yes. an imbalance in, in time. Yeah, I I. Yes, absolutely. And I, I talk about that all the time with just with anybody, right? That like, you know, the first, like we just, we finally come to the decision and then we're like, okay, let's go, let's do this. And it's a terrible idea, right? We need some time for the emotional stuff to wear off because I always say this, you know, making the biggest legal and financial decisions of your life in the middle of the biggest emotional upheaval in your life is a really bad idea. So let's come down off the emotional upheaval before making the legal and financial decisions. And, and, and the same thing where exactly as you say, like one person has known this is coming. The other person is totally blindsided. Their emotional state is a lot more heightened than the other. And that's, we don't want that in a, in any in mediation, in litigation, in collaborative, right? It's just all a bad, bad right. combo. And, and you know, when, when processes go on too long because you didn't pick the right process, and it's like, it's not always black and white, but some pro- some divorce divorces go on for so long and then it be, the, the couple becomes exhausted yeah, or frustrated. And then bad decisions are made because of those two things. You know, yeah. someone ends up just giving it all away um, yeah. sure. I don't need any money. Just get me out of this marriage. And then a year later, they're like, Oh no, what did I do? You know, I, I gave too much up. I yes. didn't, didn't wait it out. And yeah. Hear, hear us now. Never, don't ever do that. And anyone listening yeah. who's thinking like, I don't want anything. I just want him gone. Like, no, 
No, take some time <laughs> to process through whatever it is that is making you feel like you just want them gone and be smarter about it and be more strategic yes. because call Kate, call your therapist, call somebody exactly. to help you process all this. It's exactly. painful. We know yeah. you want to rip that band-aid off, but it's not going to be worth it in the long run. It's really not. slow it down. It's really not. I'm one of those. I get in the pool real slow. I get in the cold, like ice cold water, super slow. <laughs> I don't dive right in. Yeah. Take, take a page from that book. You have an interesting story, like your that I about your parents that I would love for you to tell our listeners because I think it informs so much of what you do and why you do it. Yeah, uh, sure. So my parents had a very unhappy marriage. I would imagine from, from the very very beginning, and. I always knew they were unhappy and they just stayed together. And they finally divorced when my mom made the decision to just leave, basically. And I, when I was just, I was in college. I was actually on my semester abroad when I got the call. I've left your dad. So they hired traditional lawyers and they filed those initial papers in court, but they ultimately settled out of court. And, but the process of, those just because they originally went to court and they had to make all these allegations against each other because back then you had to prove right excuse me yeah that's the only way that was the only way to do it yeah you had to prove in in my parents case because I only found these papers after my dad passed away that he my mom had to make all these allegations of cruel and inhuman treatment against my dad so I found this legal pad with 16 handwritten pages that my dad was answering all my mom's allegations. He kept all these years. Wow. I never knew why he was so angry at my mother after the divorce. He got the houses. She got the business. They shared custody of my brother. It looked equal to me. And he wouldn't talk to my mother for 10 years after that divorce. 10 years. He wouldn't say her name. He wouldn't, he wouldn't look at her in pictures. He wouldn't be in photographs at my sister's wedding. It was terrible having to navigate parents that would, my mother would have talked to him, but my father wouldn't talk to my mother. When I found this pad, this legal pad with all these allegations and then him defending himself, I saw what I realized, you know, how painful it was for him to be accused of all these things. And probably for my mom to have to dig up all this crap from a 20 something year marriage. Right. So it made me realize, I mean, I've been doing this. I had been a divorce lawyer for a long time at that point, but I realized more than ever that it was the process of the divorce, how they divorced, the things they had to say about each other, the things they were encouraged to think about and, and, and dig up that ruined it. They just, that just put a nail in the coffin because there was really nothing else to be saved. Well, you know, it was just too much, <laughs> too much to have to deal with. My father was in a you know, fragile state anyway. So it really affected our family. And I just don't want other families to go through that. I really, I want, I don't want my clients to have to tell me every terrible thing their spouse ever did to them. That's the past. What can the future look like? Yeah. And it just really drove that home for me. And, you know, and I, this, I think that's so important, right? It's like digging, pack, unpacking those boxes of all the shit that happened in the divorce and healing those wounds for ourselves is part of the divorce process, but it is not part of the legal process of divorce. And, you know, that's why I do the work that I do, because I help you unpack those boxes before you even get there or during it, right? So that it, so that those emotional boxes don't get carried in. And I think that the divorce law across the country is, is shifting in that I think every state now is a no fault state, right? We don't have to prove infidelity or, you know, name some cause. You can just get divorced for irreconcilable differences and that, and be done with it. <laughs> right? right. And thank God. You know, but even in, in, I think New York state was very recent. We were the and last state. You were the right. Yes. New yeah, York was 10 the years last. ago. Yeah. And, 
And up until 10 years ago, you had to prove you had to do that. And your poor dad, right? Can you imagine? So it's one thing, it's interesting from a, a perspective shift, right? Because if you're just in the perspective of watching your dad be bitter and angry, you're like, what the fuck? Why can't he just get over it? But then when you actually have the evidence and the, and are, are afforded the, the sort of window into what happened, I can imagine that that was a huge shift for you in compassion and empathy that this poor man had this 20 year marriage that by all accounts, he seemed to think was like, okay, or he was willing to stay in. Right. But he had 20 years. It was reduced to these allegations. Yes. And also I felt bad for my mom that she had to write it all out and bring it all up too. You know, I never talked to her about, she might hear this on this podcast. I don't know. I never even told her I found that pad. (laughs) Hi mom, I have the pad. Um, (laughs) um, But you know, I I had to think about her attorney sending her home and saying, all right, this is your homework. Go think about every terrible thing he ever did. I mean, who wants to do that? Why, why do we have to encourage our, our clients to do that? And even though we don't have fault divorce anymore, it still happens. Tell me every terrible, how did he not take care of the kids the right way? What did he, how did he, what did he not, he wasn't honest about something once. That means you can't trust him about any kind of money or financial accounting, well, you know? Yeah. And this is what litigation does. Yes. And I, I tell the story a lot about how the, you know, before we went into the collaborative process, I went and saw a litigator because I didn't know what my, I just wanted to know what the lay of the land was. Someone was like, you should just at least consult with an attorney. So you know what it is that you're going into, you know? And I was like, all right. And I go in and I meet with this guy and the first, you know, the first thing he did was start to was say like, well, we should, you know, accuse your husband of being, if we can, if we can prove that he's an unfit father, then we can get you more custody so that, and I was like, but wait, why would we, why would, I don't want to do that. He's a great dad. My son, like they have a wonderful relationship and he's like, well then, so you could get more money. And I was like, but I, I don't need more. I don't want more money. That's not what this is about. This is about my son. And I, and I realized that had I been a little bit more angry, had I been a little bit more vengeful, had I been a little bit more uh, resentful, I could easily have gotten sort of swayed in that, in that direction. But because I had processed my feelings through years of therapy and individual and couples and all of the stuff, I wasn't susceptible to becoming a victim of that. And that's, and that is still very much alive. And that was in California 10 years ago, but you know, that's still very, well, I mean, look, let's like, look at marriage story. Right. Right. That's, you know, a perfect example of what we're talking about. Perfect example. It was really hard to watch that movie Ooh. for that reason. Cause Ooh. this couple didn't have to go there and no. the attorneys just encouraged them to dig all that stuff up. Yeah. That yeah. was, I mean, it, that was, it's funny. I haven't talked about the, uh, that uh, on the podcast yet. Cause there's so much to talk about, but I mean, I think it's a great, you know, that Scarlett Johansson's character was really emotional and really susceptible. And Laura Dern's character, I think used a lot of feminist psychology or sort of tenets of feminism that were actually really valid. Like those speeches, her two speeches about, feminism and women and what they give up and how she hit like all I was like fuck yeah and then she made use that as a way to manipulate her into litigation yeah and I and that's what I think was so brilliant about those scenes was that it gets you you can see it you're like yeah yeah and then like oh no no don't no. Right. You know, litigation attorneys want to be seen as like the knight in shining armor. I can protect you. I can give you that power that you're, you're entitled to, you know, I can get it back for you. You've given it up. Let me take care of you. And as soon as you use the word protect, what it means is that there's something to protect against. It immediately creates a villain. 
And this cup, and even at the end of that movie, the scene that really got me was when he now, this, the husband moves out to California and, and when he's in California, they agree that he'll have 50-50 custody when he's in California. Mm-hmm. And Laura Dern says something like, oh no, yeah, he only gets 40%. Uh-huh. And Scarlett Johansson's character says, what do you mean? We agreed 50. He goes, I didn't want him telling his buddies that he got 50 you know, equal custody. Like it, she took it personally. She wasn't going to let him win. Right. Even though her client clearly wanted this. Yes. So and I know better than you. Let me, you know, just let me take care of it. You don't know what you're doing, little lady. Yeah. Well, and that fortunately was the moment that, that her client was like, oh, I'm not doing this. Yeah. That was the moment of clarity. Finally. Finally. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so, I mean, it's, I just say, you know, I always, I always say it's like, it's a cautionary tale that everybody should see. It's hard to watch. It's, it's brilliantly done and it's important. I think it's an important cautionary tale. How do you get someone, how do you, how do you suggest sort of talking to someone if their spouse, you know, if, if one party is interested in using collaborative, but the other person is maybe thinking that they need to go to litigation because that's all they actually know, or, you know, someone's in their ear telling them that they need to be protected. How do you suggest someone actually talks to their, their soon to be ex or ex about collaborative? Yeah, that's a great question because it's so common. It's not that, what isn't that common is a client calls and says, my spouse and I have decided we'd like collaborative. That happens, but not all that often. It's usually I'm educating my client about the process. And I, you know, we talk about it and they say, this sounds like what would work. So what I will tell them is, okay, these are the, these are what's, this is why what you've told me is important to you. You've told me about your kids. You've told me about your relate the relationship you want to preserve with your spouse and the concerns that you have about why mediation might not be the right process. The idea of having these other professionals could really help you because of whatever complicated or kind of in-depth issues that will have to be kind of examined and, and, and sorted out. So let's make a list of all the things that you found are appealing about this process. And then you should go talk to your spouse. I have a, an article that I give them about how to talk to your spouse about divorce. I mean, about collaborative divorce. Oh, I'll, cool. s- I'll, I'll send them home with that and they will have that conversation. Another option that I tell them is if you have the conversation and they're still not quite on board or what happens is they've already chosen a lawyer who's not a collaborative lawyer. Mm-hmm. And the lawyer says, I'm not going to, we're not going to litigate, but they're not collaboratively trained. Well, we can't use the collaborative process in that case. They have to be collaboratively, they have to be collaboratively trained. trained. Right. Yeah. So right. I'll say, well, what, an idea that is that you go sit down, make an appointment with one of our divorce family specialists, divorce coaches, and make an appointment for the two of you to go see this person and hear about the process from a child-centric point of view, from an emotional point of view. So you're hearing the information at the same time. And then if you like this person, you've got your coach on board. Now you just have to find, now you have my, me as your attorney, you're, now your, your spouse just has to go find an attorney that feels, feels right to them. And there you have. there, And, that, and that's happened, it's worked several times like recently and that really helps because it's not coming from me. It's not coming from the spouse that they don't know if they should trust right now. It's coming from a, a neutral professional. From a therapist. Who, a therapist, basically. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's that's great. I love that. That's a really, that's a smart, <laughs> very smart. Thank you, Andrea. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> you have your certificate in positive psychology. So how does that apply and how do you use a positive, first of all, what is positive psychology? Because we've actually never done an episode on positive psychology. So can you talk about that a little bit and how that plays into your work uh, as a collaborative professional? Yeah. So positive psychology is sometimes called the psychology of happiness. So traditional psychology is sometimes is generally focused on what's not working, what's wrong and how to fix it and how to make it better. And positive psychology, this is very basic way of explaining it is focused on what's working, what's, mm. what, what, where your strengths are, what going well so that you can have more of it in your life and focus on being happier <laughs> and being better off with whatever the, the strengths are. So we're going to focus on 
having a um, growth mindset, for example. That's a big part of positive psychology, not to think in a in more fixed mindset, but to think you know, more bigger and more globally and, and how to expand what you see. We're going to focus on mindfulness. That's mm-hmm. really important. We studied resilience, how to be more resilient, what the, you know, who, who's more resilient and how to become more resilient in your life and how you'll have a better outcome and more happiness. We, let's see, what else? I'm <laughs> brain freeze here. You know, I think what I, what, what I've, what I help my clients with is to really understand what I all, I'll have conversations with them. What's working in your relationship rather than what's wrong. Where are you doing well together? Mm-hmm. Where are you parenting? Well, what, what are your conversations like around the kids? What, why do you have trust in that area? So let's build on that when we have the financial conversation. Yes. You know, um, yes. How can you, you know, let's focus on, on how you can be more resilient when things, when, things don't go your way. Mm-hmm. I'll encourage them to work with other professionals, of course, you know, to help build on all these things, but those and mindfulness and, and meditation. And, you know, we want to bring that in. We want to get centered, yeah. um, you know, so that we could just be more present when we're making these difficult decisions. So it helps me in my own life and it's helped me, uh, I think, be a better lawyer for my clients. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think it's so, it's such a, it's such a great pairing. I think it's really, it's just a, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I think it's actually really unique for an attorney, although maybe it's becoming more common that people have this sort of, you know, mindful training, mindfulness training and mindful approach to this process. Cause I think we've all seen what happens when we don't. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. great that uh, the fight or flight syndrome the freeze you know your brain you know is when it's under stress is not it's not acting optimally so we we have to manage it yeah yeah We we do i'm so glad that we had this conversation is there anything else that you want to leave people with about collaborative about how to choose a collaborative uh, approach. I I don't know anything. Well, well, I I would just encourage people to think of court as your last resort. And if you end up going to an attorney, like you just said, Kate, you know, where they're like, oh, well, we're going to, you know, accuse him of being this or that. Like really listen to your gut. You know, is this really the kind of, you probably didn't marry a monster. He's just not right for you anymore. Right. So you have to remember that and don't let other attorneys or anyone try to convince you otherwise when you know in your heart what's true. Stay out of court. It is the worst place for families. It is, you'll lose all control, all privacy, time, money. You, your relationship will probably never recover. It might end up worse than it is today. And who is that going to help? Your kids could get drawn into the fight. That should only be for the most extreme circumstances that you have a judge make a decision for your family. So I I believe that with all my heart and just interview lawyers who can talk to you about different processes and understand them and have practiced them and can really tell you what's what and then follow your gut. Do you think that somebody who is in an emotionally abusive marriage can benefit from collaborative? Do you think that's a good place for them to be? I mean, mediation is probably not given that imbalance that your power imbalance that you're talking about. What about collaborative? Collaborative is definitely, you know, collaborative cases help high conflict couples come to agreements in a productive way, a safe way, and allows for both both of them to be stable and secure on the other side. So high conflict awfully means, you know, there's some emotional, it's usually not physical. It's usually emotional. Yeah. You know, it's not abuse, just a lot of nastiness and just, you know, it's not healthy, right? Yeah. Yep. The team helps to balance that out, helps to calm that down, doesn't inflame that emotional abuse. And that's what, attorneys, even when they're not intending to do, because that's the process. Absolutely. So emotionally abusive, it depends on the how extreme it is. 
but if it's just a kind of everyday emotional abuse, you know, <laughs> like, average, average, the end of a marriage, average, toxic masculinity yeah. kind of thing, like exactly, sure, sure I can handle that. <laughs> you guys, so you can do that. You can handle that. Okay, you can good. handle that. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's. I think that's. I think a lot of my listeners are in that place, and so I just always want to ask that. I say, what do you want the other side? You know, is there still a glimmer of, of, you know, the person you married? Is he still, or she's still a good parent? Is it just your relationship that's, that's toxic, but maybe it doesn't mean it's completely that there's no hope for it. And, and maybe there's, you can have a different relationship on the other side when your family is reformed and the marriage is removed from the really, from the family. Yeah. Good. Yeah, that, that was my case for sure. Was that it was the, we were toxic, but we, you know he's a great dad. Very common, right? <laughs> yeah, very common. Yeah, and you have to be able to separate yourself out from that and see that objectively and clearly. Yes, and and maybe he wasn't a great dad during your toxic marriage because you can't stand being in the same room together. Yeah, and you end up doing everything, and he's in his room or he doesn't come home because he you two can't stand each other. Right. So he doesn't have a chance to parent the way he would like to, or you would want him to, or you're begging him to. Right. Because of all these other reasons. And a lot of times women are like, oh, he never wanted to be with the kids. Now he wants 50, 50. Well, yeah, I I hear that a lot. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't want to be around you and you don't want to be around him. And so he's not showing up to parent because it's all kinds of bad. (laughs) That's a really good point. That's a super great point. Andrea, where can people find you? So my, I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And my website is vacalaw.com, newyorkdivorcelawyerblog.com, where all my blogs and videos are. And, uh, and that's, yeah, that's where I am. There you are. I'm awesome. <laughs> Thank you yeah. so much for lending your expertise so generously to my audience. I know that this is actually going to be a really important episode for very enlightening for people. So really important. Thank you for Thank coming you on. Do. And um, on my website, you can get my ebook too, if it, it interests you. So divorce without court, how to have a more peaceful divorce. So yes. I and we were going to be people. linking that in the show notes as well. So is that on the VACA law website or the other one? It's on my blog and website. So you oh, can get so it both. anywhere. Either one. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you, Kate. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.